Malachi 3. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Thank you, Stuart. So a little background on Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you study the entire book of Malachi, which is not very long, it's only four chapters, but if you study the book, you can see that the nation of Israel was in a great spiritual decline. The reconstruction of the temple had been completed and corruption had entered into it. Corruption was running rampant. Morals had gone by the wayside. Depravity was widespread in the nation of Israel. The nation as a whole was in tremendous spiritual decline. Kind of sounds like our times nowadays. Our nation is in a spiritual decline. Beloved, I want you to understand, we're going to preach on a subject nobody wants. Nobody wants to hear. And if you all had known it was going to be on tithes and offerings tonight, would you have come? Yeah, some of you would have. Some of you might have stayed home. You know what? As pastors, we don't really want to preach on it either. We get chastised. We get ridiculed. But it's a necessary evil, as they say. <laughs> it's a necessary message. Truly, it is. So I want you to understand the difference between tithes and offerings. We often use the words together, tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings. We're going to collect our tithes and offerings. Tithes are different from offerings. The word tithe literally means a tenth, a tenth of your earnings back to the work of God. Tithe is a concept based upon faith and not sight. So when you tithe, you know you're helping your church to spread the gospel. An offering is different. It's over and above a tithe. It should not be construed as something that is meant to replace a tithe. An offering can be your time. Maybe it's food for the food pantry. Maybe it's a blanket to warm up somebody you see that's cold. Maybe it's making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Those are offerings. So yes, today's message is the most feared, dreaded, and often avoided topic. I know pastors that break into a sweat knowing they're going to be told to preach on tithing. 
but trust me, I'm not going to go around and quiz anyone after today's message and say, are you tithing? Let me see your W-2. I want to make sure you're tithing. Because that's not my place. That's between you and God. Today's message is about tithing. But I want to show you biblically why we should tithe. Why we should tithe willingly and joyfully. Now, before you all get up and leave, we just sang, trust and obey. For there's no other way. And I have to say this in pieces, otherwise I'm going to sing it. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Did you believe those lyrics when you sang them? Or were they just words on a screen to a familiar tune that you learned when you were growing up? I hope they all came from here. Trust and obey. Those are not easy things to do. Sometimes it's hard to trust God when you're in the middle of having your tire blow out going 85 miles an hour. But you trusted him. And you obeyed. You slowed down. (laughs) So we have to trust and obey. So let's explore God's word as to what, when, why, and how we should tithe. Let me state emphatically, God does not need anyone's money in here. God is the creator of everything. Psalm 24.1 tells us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to God. All of it, this pew over here, the cat that was strolling around, it all belongs to God. He doesn't need our money. He is the creator of everything, and he has no need of anything for us. Psalm 50, 9 through 12 says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal in the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and every creature in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. That means every single thing, every piece of paper, every twig, every flower, every creature, each one of us, your home, your car, everything belongs to God. Beloved, don't get me wrong. God does not need our money, but he does need our hearts. See, tithing is not necessarily a matter of just writing out a check. It's a matter of heart. He just wants our hearts. He wants our trust, and he wants our obedience. Let me say that again. God wants our hearts, our trust, and our obedience. Once God has our hearts, our trust, and our obedience fall in line, then and only then can he use us to fulfill our purpose and to help build his kingdom. So you ask, if everything belongs to God, why should we tithe? In fact, moments ago, I said emphatically, God does not need our money, and he doesn't. So you might be asking, then why should we tithe? Nehemiah 10.38 says, A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring one-tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God. 
to the storerooms of the treasury. The Levites are the people that did the work of the Lord. The Levites were from the tribe of Israel that were to be the priests. They didn't receive a land inheritance like the other tribes of Israel, but they were brought the tithe so they could survive and live, so they could spend all of their time doing the work that God has called them to do. Without them offering the tithes, they couldn't have done their job. Just as in Nehemiah's day, today our tithes are used to carry on the work of the Lord and to help those in need. We, as Sawgrass Community Church, would not exist if we didn't collect tithes. We wouldn't exist if you didn't bring offerings. But we certainly could not exist without your tithes. We would have no pews to sit in, no lights over our head, no nice warm building to keep us safe, and most likely no pastors. Without having tithes to meet our budget, we would not be known as Sawgrass Community Church. We could not carry on the mission that God has called Sawgrass to do. Some of you may be saying, ah, see, here it comes. Sawgrass Church just wants our money. That's not at all what I'm saying, though. How many churches have you gone to or seen on TV that say, oh, just send us our mon- your money so we can do... It could be, oh, we're going to reach out to the poor. We're going to reach out and do this. We're going to reach out and do this. But if you look while they're preaching, behind them they have all this flashy gold, all this stuff to make it look really, really nice and really, really fancy. Does that mean that they're a better church? Does that mean they're doing what God has called them to do? That's between them and God has nothing to do with us. Some of those pastors own private planes, yachts, and many other things that they refer to as, these are the blessings God has bestowed upon me. Again, that's between them and God. But believe me when I tell you, here at Sawgrass, we did not become pastors to get rich. We are not looking here to put money in our pockets. In fact, I can tell you honestly, we probably spend more than we earn because we know that that's what God has called us to do. Most of you probably spend more on reaching out to others than you earn, but God always provides. So yes, as your pastors here at Sawgrass, we are also directed to tithe. We have to set the example. Did you know that at Sawgrass Community Church, we as a church also tithe? We send 10% of the tithes collected to a variety of different organizations internationally, regionally, and locally. We send to Mission Haiti Medical, Children of Promise, Church of God, Jubilee, as well as some other local organizations. We as a church and as a people are doing exactly what God has called us to do giving back to him our first 10%. Because that's what we're called to do. His work cannot continue if we don't tithe. Think about it, though. God has only asked us to give 10%. We get 90. That's an awful big 
gap. He's just asking for this. We're getting this much. Now, granted, the government takes a bit. You have your mandatory federal tax, FICA, Medicare, Social Security taxes. All those things get taken out of your check. But you notice they didn't ask you to do it. They demand it. In fact, they take it. They don't even give you the option of saying, no, I don't want to pay that. Our paychecks reflect taxes, usually 20% or more. God's only asking for 10. And they take theirs right off the top. God's asking us to take it off the top too. But it's not mandatory. The government is mandatory. You can't get away from it unless you work under the table, which is not right. So, God has not come along and taken our 10% off the top for us. He's given us free will to freely give and joyfully give our tithes. So let's get real for a minute. The real question about tithing is not whether or not it's required, but does God's word in the Bible still stand today? First, do you believe that the Bible is God-breathed? Second, do you believe that the Bible is true? In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul states, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if we know that the Bible is God-breathed and we know that the Bible is true, we must also believe that God's promises hold true today just as they did when they were written. They weren't just written for this time. They were written for all eternity. Nowhere in the Bible have I read a passage that cancels out the promises made in Malachi or any other verse in the Bible. Matthew twenty-two fifteen 15 through 22 says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of God, a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. He asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. That's pretty clear. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. By giving what is just, And right, you're honoring God. When you choose to hold back, you're not only robbing God, but you're robbing God from being able to pour out his blessings upon you and upon others. Not long ago, Tom and I bought a used car. We went to DMV, Motor Vehicle Department, to get everything transferred over. We went up to the clerk, we gave her all our paperwork, and she said... 
what did you really pay for the car? And then she slid us a piece of paper so we could adjust it by lowering it. We were both taken aback. We both looked at each other like, "Um, that's wrong. This is the amount we paid for the car. Well, but if you pay taxes on that, you're going to pay a couple hundred dollars. But if you say that you paid less, you can get away with it. We both said, no, we paid this amount for the car. She looked shocked. She was astounded. She was willing to allow us, in fact, gave us the paperwork so that we could adjust the price, so that we could pay less. We both said, but that would be dishonest. She looked amazed. She couldn't believe what idiots we were. Sure, that's what she was thinking. Could we have saved a few hundred dollars by allowing her to sway our minds? Yeah, sure, we could have. But neither of us thought twice about doing what was right, what was honest. We wanted to honor God by paying what was due, what was right, and what was honest. Financially, it would have been a little easier for us to cheat the system and lie, but we were not willing to sell out God's integrity for a couple hundred dollars. We would have been robbing Caesar. We couldn't do that. And truthfully, it all belongs to God anyway. So we trusted God to do the right thing. I prayed as we left that we had a positive impact on her and that she no longer slid those papers over to people on the other side to make it easier for them to cheat and lie and steal. Do you trust God? Do you trust him to provide for every need? I'm not asking if you trust him to provide for every wish. But do you trust him to provide for every need? We often confuse our needs with our wants. We all need nourishment, food, and water on a daily basis to sustain life and to keep us healthy. But we don't need filet mignon and champagne to keep us healthy. We may want champagne and filet mignon, but we don't need it. We just need nourishment. So do you trust God with your needs? We should all be willing to give with a willing heart, a joyful heart. Jesus has taught us to live by a higher standard, not the one the world out there lives by. In 2 Corinthians, God's word word tells us to be cheerful givers. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you know that there are over 50 verses in the Bible about reaping and sowing? You sow what you reap, reap what you sow. They talk about it all the time. All of them remind us that what we sow, we reap. In other words, 
as we just read in 2 Corinthians, if we sow sparingly, we also reap sparingly. Remember in Luke, we talked about this a few months ago, the widow's offering. She gave two small coins. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money in, more in than all the others. And he wasn't just talking money, he was talking her heart. As followers of Christ, we should be setting the example of our changed hearts. Our changed heart is what determines how we serve, how we love others, and how we give. The widow didn't hold back one coin so she could feed herself, no. She trusted God to provide. She tested God as he had told her to do in Malachi 3.10. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be enough room to store it. She tested him. Now, I chose to use this particular example, even though we may not know the details of what happened with the widow after she left the temple treasury area. Not because I wanted to leave you hanging about what was happened, but because her example showed her heart. She had nothing to give but basically a penny, and yet she willingly and cheerfully gave her coins back to God, trusting him to provide for her every need. We personally really don't need to know how God provided for her. We just need to trust God's word. How easy is it to give out of the abundance that we have When we have a whole bunch, we're willing to give a whole bunch away. But how much harder is it to give when you have nothing? To give when it really hurts? To give when you're not sure if you're going to get your next meal? To give when you don't know if you can keep your lights on? When you didn't think you had it to give, but God asked you to give it anyway. Years ago, Now, Tom already knows I'm using him as an example. Years ago, I used to tithe off my grocery money. Since my dear husband did not see the importance of tithing yet, he was raised in a legalistic church where money was the determining factor of your status in the church. I used to pray for God to change Tom's heart, but I continued to tithe. It made buying groceries and feeding our family a little tighter, but I didn't care. It didn't matter. I knew that God would provide. At the end of the year, we got our tithe and offering statement, and he knew we had not given as much as it had stated in there. And I kind of told him I'd been tithing off my grocery money. And he just let it slide. It wasn't long after that that Tom accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He developed a relationship with him, Do you know that I didn't have to ask him to tithe? God changed his heart. And he willingly opened his checkbook and willingly gave. Because tithing is a matter of heart. It's not a matter of a wallet or a checkbook or a mandatory thing. You know, we've all heard, you can look at a person's checkbook and you can see where their heart is. They also say that a man's money matters are a spiritual barometer of his life. 
It clearly states in 1 John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Again, we go back to how a heart change reflects the love of Jesus. If we are to call ourselves followers of Christ, we must be different. Our hearts must reflect the change that Jesus has made in our lives. When our hearts are changed, it's reflected by our actions. If we look back at 2 Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul clearly states that each of us should give according to what's in our hearts. So let's boil it down. Who should tithe? Everyone that calls themselves Christians. What should we give? Willingly, 10% of everything given to us. Off the top, our tithes and offerings, which include our money, our time, our hearts to serve others. When should we tithe? When we have been given much, we need to give back. So where should we give? Well, we should give to where we worship so that kingdom work can be accomplished. How should we tithe? Again, God is very clear here. Our service to others is a part of tithing, and the 10% should come off the top. Why should I tithe? I can give you a multitude of reasons why we should tithe. But the best reason is we are born again followers of Christ. He has directed us to give back to continue his work. Our tithes and offerings should be a reflection of our changed hearts. Tithing requires sacrifice. Beloved, our sacrifice pales in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus paid for our salvation. He didn't just give 10%. He gave his life. What are you willing to give? Heavenly Father, thank you. Just thank you for who you are. Thank you for changing our hearts. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for all that you do. Thank you for giving your son for our sins, for our salvation. Help us to have changed hearts. Help us to see exactly what you've called us to do. And help us be faithful in that. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.